You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the podcast. PUT is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the podcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am PUTS Executive Director and the host for the podcast today. I'd like to welcome our guests, starting with Greg Reibold from the Georgia Pharmacists Association. Hello, Greg. Welcome. Hey, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Cannot wait for today's topic. I'm also pleased to introduce Steve Moore, the former president and also former chairman for the Pharmacist Society for the State of New York. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Monique. Really glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to have you. And it is my very great pleasure to introduce Penn Patel. He is one of the founding members of the Arizona Independent Pharmacy Coalition here in Arizona, where I am. Ken and I worked together on some legislation this last session. Ken, welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you, Monique. Glad to be here. So, so happy that you are here. So this is our panel today. And I brought all of us together because it's August and there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, Many historical things have happened in just the last several days. Uh, And also big things are happening in the pharmacy industry. And I thought it would be great uh, to bring the three of you from your unique places in the country together so we could talk about what is the state of pharmacy in the pharmacy industry. So um, I think Greg, I'd like to start with you because you know, down where you are, so you're in Georgia, but you're really in a part of the country where a lot seems to be going on all the time. I'd love to just start with you and and find out from your point of view, how's it been going? How's it going for the pharmacy industry? What's been going on down where you are and just that whole thing? Yeah. So, you know, from my perspective, it's sort of, it's almost like a tale of two cities now, right? There, from a policy perspective, there have been, you know, tremendous strides forward in Georgia, as well as surrounding states, um, you know, Alabama and Tennessee. And there's, you know, there's been a lot of great work in, you know, in terms of reining in pharmacy benefit manager practices. So, you know, from that perspective, it's been great on a national level. Again, you've got like anti-steering legislation proliferating across the country. We've got PCMAV Rutledge that, that went pharmacy's way, which is exciting and fantastic. Um, but there are no finish lines. And so, you know, as, as all of these great things that have happened, and I'm not a pharmacist, so I'm not behind the counter, but, you know, I always try to ask myself, you know, are, have their lives changed, right? Are they better caring for their patients? Um, or is it a more sustainable business model? Are they still being subject to abuses? And, you know, it's, we've seen improvements, right? We've seen you know, patients coming back to stores with the passage of anti-steering legislation, prohibitions on fees and tying reimbursements to patient outcomes. You know, we've seen some improvements, but the, the fact is there are still large swaths of the market where PBMs continue to essentially do what it is that they want to do. And so, you know, no finish lines in this business. There's there's work to do, and we're excited to, to get back to it and, and uh, you know, finish the job. Yeah, I think you're right about the no finish lines. 
I, I think of it as a, like almost like a mountain with no top, but that's not particularly inspiring. <laughs> there are whole days where it feels like, oh my gosh, I wish I would just get to the, the top of this mountain. Um, <laughs> people who are listening, uh, Greg and I work together on a piece of model legislation that put just recently presented at the American Legislative Exchange Council. So, so the, the legislation as we have adopted it is the Pharmacy and Pharmacy Patient Protection Act, but it's modeled on some laws that, that you guys had down there in Georgia that were, that were really effective. Uh, you wanna just share with people who are listening a little bit about that legislation and the approach you took to patient steering? Yeah. And so, you know, what, what I would say is pharmacy legislation in certain ways has evolved greatly, right? And it's, and it's an exciting thing, but it needs to, you know, it needs to evolve more yet again. Um, but if you look at pharmacy, you know, in 2013, 2014, you know, the pharmacy world was worrying about audits, right? And, and you know, audits are a serious thing. There's, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, as, as pharmacies are focusing on audits and advocacy on audits, you know, what we found is there were far worse, more insidious practices that were ongoing. So, you know, in 2017 in Georgia, we authored and passed the Pharmacy Patient Protection Act, which instead of going down and saying, hey, let's focus on audits or let's focus on MAC pricing, it, the concept was let's go and let's focus on a list of practices that are just abhorrent that pharmacy benefit managers shouldn't be able to get away with as to patients or as to pharmacies. And you know that's evolved as well. And so in 2019, we tackled the issue of patient steering, which to me, is without a doubt one of the major issues of the day, right? Pharmacy benefit managers with their vertical integration have used their position to target the sickest patients in Georgia and the sick sickest patients in the country, you know, cancer patients, HIV patients, chronically ill patients. And, you know, they've, they've sucked those patients out of pharmacies, right? And so we've targeted hard in 2019 and 2020 uh, steering legislation that looked to rein that in. And we kind of looked, I think of it almost as a two-headed beast. We targeted the pharmacy benefit managers and said, hey, PBMs, you have to stop steering. But we also targeted the mouths that they feed. And that's the pharmacies that are affiliated with the pharmacy benefit managers. And we've said, hey, you can't bill for prescriptions that you've received via illegal steering or prohibited referral. We also greatly increased commissioner of insurance oversight and you know, had an array of other things. So it's it, now we're in the mode where it's time to get these laws enforced, right? And so we, again, we've seen some compliance in certain markets, but it's still ongoing. And PC Mavy Rutledge, which was obviously a really big ERISA case, was significant, but, and Monique, I think we had this conversation pre the PCMA v. Rutledge decision, right? The PBMs aren't going quietly into the good night. And so, you know, they're interpreting PCMA v. Rutledge narrowly, extraordinarily narrowly, I would argue. But so, you know, they're not going to just stop the practices. Somebody is going to have to stop them. And so, you know, legislation is a major part of this, but there's going to be litigation and there's going to be, you know, enforcement actions by states. There's a lot of work to do. Oh yeah, there's a lot. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely one of the things that, that we're going to talk about. Um, and actually the very day that we did our very first podcast. Steve Moore was our guest. And I think, Steve, if I remember correctly, that was the day the Supreme Court decided to hear PCMA v. Rutledge. Does that sound right to you? I believe that's correct. That's right. Pretty yeah. yeah, pretty exciting time. It was Straight. the most unprofessional <laughs> podcast ever because my phone was blowing up. People were like, can you believe this isn't happening? <laughs> <laughs> Before we go on, I want to take a moment to introduce one more person on our panel, Lauren Young, 
who is also a PUT board member and is my frequent co-host, has joined us. Lauren, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to hear more from three great industry leaders. I know, right? This is very, it's, it's all right. We've only just got started and it's already rolling. It's like, I'm so excited to hear more. Uh, Steve, so you are having, I mean, this is a very interesting time in New York, right? So it's an interesting time for pharmacy because I know when you and I first met, it was right after CVS Caremark had started drastically slashing reimbursements. It was that whole squeeze and buy scandal. And then there were some, there was the the three axis study that showed, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, the state was very likely paying over and above the cost of, of prescription medication. And then there was legislation that was going to uh, impact that. And then it got held. And now you're having a change in leadership at the level of the governor there in New York. How is pharmacy looking where you are right now? Yes. Yeah, so it's been a PBM relief has been a long time coming here in New York. So um, we certainly we appreciate all the support from Hutt and from my colleagues throughout the, the country over the years. I know, you know, everybody on this call, if you haven't been to New York multiple times to support our, our legislative efforts. So we really appreciate that and uh, the support that Putt brings as an organization to what we've tried to do. But it's been it's been a few years. You know, we we started you know, like you said, back with the uh, the Mac issues, it was in the fall. It was an October day. I remember it. The phone starts blowing up. Your email starts blowing up, and you know your reimbursement just has, has gone to a point where it's unsustainable. And you know that that was the time I think that convinced you know a lot of our our colleagues here in New York that you know we had to actively fight back. You know, we had to take the initiative. We had to go out and we had to present data. You know, it's one thing for me to call and say, hey, you know, New York State, my reimbursement is, you know, is terrible. You need to do something about it. You know, but that's anecdotal. You know, it, it's anecdotal. And so, you know, we, we started to work with um, Eric and Antonio at Three Access and 46 Brooklyn and could not have asked for, you know, a better team to kind of help us analyze the, the publicly available data set that we had. To, to show what was going on with reimbursement. And, you know, it wasn't a surprise because it was happening throughout the country. Um, I think in New York, though, we were able to kind of show because of the size of our Medicaid program, a couple hundred million dollars was, was pretty significant and, uh, you know, got a lot of attention. So uh, we were excited that the state conducted its own analysis later and, uh, you know, pretty much confirmed what we've been saying for years. And we were uh, really excited to see PBM legislation pass pretty much unanimously in both houses back in 2019 when uh, unfortunately it was vetoed uh, due to the Rutledge case. You know, our, our governor cited the Rutledge case as, you know, something that may impact that legislation. So he didn't want to sign that. And he, he said that the reason he was, you know, vetoing the legislation was, you know, to, to wait on the results of the Rutledge case. So we were pretty hopeful here in New York with that coming back as favorable as it did uh, that, uh, well, it's not going to be that governor it will be his replacement that uh, she'll look to sign this legislation, which passed again this year uh, unanimously in both houses, uh, she'll look to sign that and it'll be going into effect, hopefully, uh, by the end of 2021. That's fantastic. You have a great pharmacy champion in Senator James Scoopus. He's going to be at our summit next month. I should say be, we're waiting to see if he'll actually be there in person or if he will be joining us online. Uh, you guys have worked pretty closely with him over the last couple of years of yep. memory serves. Yeah, and he's been such an incredible friend of pharmacy. You know, he's a legislator who, 
you know, he's not my legislator, but he's somebody who does such a great job for his district, regardless of whether it's a pharmacy issue or not. But he also does just a, a great job for pharmacy, you know, and whether, you know, his actions, whether they affect us here in New York, I, I think they affect pharmacists throughout the country. He was appointed when he was elected to the New York State Senate. He was appointed to chair the Senate Investigations Committee, which had been dormant. But his very first investigation, uh, which I believe we talked about at the, the last in-person put summit back in Austin, yeah, you know, we talked about the Scoofus report and you know what he found during the course of his investigation into PBM practices here in New York, and just kind of confirmed everything that that we knew was going on and that we need some reform, not only in New York but throughout the country. Now James has been an absolute, you know, incredible supporter, great friend to to, to pharmacy here in New York and. and you know, throughout the country, and he will be an incredible addition to the to the agenda in September. Yeah, yeah, we we're so glad that we have had a chance to know him. And you're right, the, that report that was a a bombshell that uh, was pretty epic. It, and it, it was interesting because it dropped, and it was it was everything that we knew was going on. But it really it really took on a life of its own, sort of rippling out across the country. It found its way into uh, several several hands in different states. Uh, we are really, re all of us are really grateful to him, grateful to uh, to all of you for helping develop that relationship the way that, that you did. It's great. Yeah, and it, it started, you know, sorry, Greg, it started with a pharmacist in his district, you know, who asked if he could talk to him when he was assembly person. And, you know, the pharmacist, I think it's fair to say, you know, wasn't necessarily an experienced lobbyist when, when he started reaching out to, to not only uh, you know, then assembly member Scoofus, now Senator Scoofus, but, you know, his other legislators. And it just goes to show you that the local relationships and the local touch points, the industry contacts, those are those are the most important relationships we can have, you know, when it comes to, to, to pharmacy issues. Yeah, agreed. Actually, it's funny you should say that because as I'm thinking about Ken, who is, as I said, here with me in Arizona, Ken, I guess, would you, you, I would say you were before this, you were pretty inexperienced, right? Talking to legislator. Had you ever, had you ever talked to one before no. we made you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up uh, I, because I, I'm like still, I feel like I'm an inexperienced person and anybody's listening, I'll tell you is to just jump in. Pot played a big role and they guided me to kind of know what to say, how to present. And in Arizona, believe it or not, there's very few independent pharmacies. We have, uh, I would say probably about 140, 250 independent pharmacies. Whatever we were able to achieve was just based on six or eight pharmacy owners working together. And that's just a start. And I think Greg and Steve, what, what, whatever you guys have done is amazing. And I think we're learning from you guys to see what we can do in Arizona. I think our first step was a great step. We, we were able to pass the law prohibiting PBM transaction fees. So I'm inspired and I'm, I'm working a little harder to see what else can we do to move this, to make uh, independent pharmacy what they're supposed to do and not been taken out by PBMs. Yeah, that's right. And and we've actually, once again, we, we're looking to to Georgia, we're looking to Texas, uh, you know, we're looking to these other states. I think it's perfect the way that you that you said that we are learning out here. I've been working with PUT now for four years, but in terms of just trying to build from the ground up, I Ken, you've been a great partner for me and for the other people on this little team, as you say. <laughs> 
in this big state, it's it's almost hard to conceive that a state, you know, land-wise as as huge as Arizona is, could have so very few community pharmacies. But the reality is that you're right. There's maybe 150 left operating in the entire state. And it's not been a problem for CVS and the larger pharmacies and the PBM-owned pharmacies that there are so few left open in the state. But uh, it is a problem, and it's one that we've been working to address. We're all in together. That's all I, I feel like. We all have to do our part, whatever we yes. can to, to make that difference. Yes, absolutely. And that's actually a perfect thing to say to now bring on Lauren, because Lauren, when you and I first met, Illinois, although you don't have an independent pharmacy association per se, you have a group of independent pharmacy owners who got extremely interested and active, gosh, three years ago now? Seems like, seems like time really flies. Yes, uh, 2018 was when we really started coming together because Illinois Medicaid was making the transition over to the managed care organizations. And so that was drastically cutting the reimbursements. And I don't think you can get better motivation for getting a bunch of frugal pharmacy owners together than to cut their reimbursements. And so kind of overnight, uh, we had a group of independent pharmacy owners across the state that connected and really pushed to make touch points and to make connections with their legislators. And a huge shout out goes to Dave Falk for getting that really started in Illinois. And we worked with IPHA to get a bill passed in 2019 successfully to try to get some transparency into Illinois prescription drug pricing. And it was really, it was, it's been successful. It's been a successful ride as far as some of the things you've been able to get accomplished. I think the, the actual legislation uh, at least the ones that you were going for this year with SB 2008, that, that has not yet passed. I think that its future is somewhat uncertain. But in terms of the partnerships and the way that, that you guys have all come together to work together, that's very much alive and, and working. Oh, absolutely. And we definitely took from the New York pharmacy playbook, the PISME playbook, with a legislative day under the rotunda. And I know that uh, whenever I went out to Albany in January of 2020 to see the rally, the pharmacy rally for the state of the state address, that was an incredible showing by the New York pharmacists. So, I mean, they came from all over the state. They had their white coats. They had their signs. I mean, there was definitely representation and they were loud and could not be ignored. And so, Steve, I know I shared this with you that day, but uh, I mean, you should have been so proud to be part of that group because they were not going away quietly. And so it's so nice to see people stand up and advocate for their profession. And there were several legislators who came down and spoke to the group and definitely were on your side. And I know you guys have John McDonald, an actual assemblyman that is a pharmacist, an independent pharmacist. So that's a good ally as well. Yeah, we're we're incredibly fortunate. We have, you know, we talked about Senator Smithis earlier, but we have some incredible, you know, legislators and supporters, you know, of pharmacy in both houses. And um, you know, they've been working with us for a long time here in New York. Obviously, the 
the PBM issues have kind of taken front and center the last couple of years and deservedly so um, for what those parasites do to pharmacy. That one was from my friend Tom D'Angelo who can't even mention PBM without saying parasite. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we've had some people working with us on, on scope of practice issue. God, it seems for, for decades now in New York, we have an antiquated scope relative to our peers in other states. And, you know, that that's important for us to consider too. You know, the, the PBM issues, they, they hurt us financially. They, they're unfair. They need to be corrected. You know, but here in New York, we're dealing with pharmacists. We didn't even have the ability to, to provide the COVID immunization when that came out initially until 90 days after it was FDA approved. Well, seeing how that's still under an EUA, that that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. So, you know, we, we deal with some of those issues. Um, pharmacists are point of care testing for the first time in New York, um, and that's been an incredible opportunity. You know, and I think we're finding <clears throat> as we move into these enhanced service models and, you know, we start to say, hey, this is what pharmacists can do in addition to filling prescriptions, you know, it makes the argument for, for PBM reform a lot easier, you know, because it, you would kind of become a, a one-stop shop. And we had a, a local news station here last week to, to do a story on COVID testing with the Canadian border, you know, opening up and, you know, people need a certain type of test to cross into Canada, you know, and I was pretty quick to point out to the reporter, it's like, you know, it's not your mail order pharmacy that, that's here to do this. You know, it's your local brick and mortar pharmacies, whether that's, you know, my colleague up in up in Rasses Point and Dan Bosley, or his pharmacy in Keysville, or, or the my colleagues, the Maggies and Danamora, they've been COVID testing, you know, we've been COVID testing at this pharmacy and these PBM issues are, are going to put these pharmacies out of business, but these pharmacies are the cornerstones and the backbones of their communities, and we need to protect them for a number of reasons. Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more. And I think that that is something to remind our listeners about that there are so many opportunities to discuss with media organizations and outlets about ongoing stories they can do and use you, you know, your local community pharmacist as a resource point. I mean, we have a news station down the street from us and they call us about a myriad of healthcare issues. And so that constantly puts us in the forefront of patients. And so I really cannot express to I know sometimes pharmacists like to hide behind the counter a little bit, you know, until a patient comes to see them, but you definitely have to get out there and really advocate for that side of your profession as well. So as I'm listening to the conversation, I'm thinking about how far we've come. You know, I remember when I was first learning about these issues, just being uh, just incensed, you know, you, you ask yourself when you're first finding out that there's such a thing as a gag clause, you ask yourself, how could this possibly be legal? And then the more you, you know, work or get to know what's happening uniquely between pharmacies and PBMs, uh, not even including the nonsense that goes on between patients and PBMs, but if you just look uniquely at the relationship between pharmacies and PBMs, you start to discover layer after layer of seriously seriously awful behavior, the, the kind of behavior, when I say seriously, it's the kind where you go, seriously, I can't believe this is happening. Um, when I was at ALEC in Salt Lake, Lauren, you were with me and we were getting ready to make this presentation. There was a representative elected official from Kansas who came up to ask us a quick question about with our name being Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, why was the word transparency nowhere in this model language that we were presenting and the conversation that I had with them went along the lines of, well, this is, this is what we become. You know, we, we thought initially that if we could 
go out with this message about all these things that were going on behind the scenes that you didn't know about, you, you the public didn't know about because it wasn't transparent, that there would be such outrage that people would demand transparency and the problem would somehow have taken on a bigger life than it currently has. Now we're at a point where we have to bring forward these small but not insignificant practices that are going on. And we now have to ask for help with something as basic as, you know, like what we did here in Arizona, ending the practice of charging pharmacies transaction fees every time they submit a claim for payment. Where else do you have to pay the payer in order to be paid? It's just, a, I know of no other profession where that happens. You know, so as we were having that conversation, he, he was like, oh, I, yeah, I, I understand. No, I, I see you're right. We, that's, that's what's happening. But, you know, as, even as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm looking at the work that's been done in New York and in Georgia and, and other places in the country. And I'm curious, you know, for this panel, for whoever would like to, to jump in first to answer, what is the current state of pharmacy and where where are we going next? What what happens next? There's a lot to do still, but where do you think our, our next energy and efforts should be going toward? So I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, I feel that uh, currently there is a momentum building up and it's moving in the right direction. I know in Arizona, I would say steps that we have taken is working. I think uh, slowly uh, we will see more independence uh, and even probably small chains jump in to help us because it's not just independent facing the, some of the issues. It's every pharmacy is facing except their own, uh, I would say. And I think once they start seeing those changes that we are trying to uh, and how it affects the bottom line and mainly the patient care, I think any pharmacist looks at patient care as the number one priority. And if that is affected and they cannot be in the business while providing the service, I think things will have to change. And that's what I feel slowly we are seeing that momentum coming in Arizona. And uh, I think patient steering will be another thing that we'll be looking at this year and see what we can do on that side. I mean, I, I feel sad sometimes saying this, but in, in last three months, I've lost three independent pharmacies and they're like, five miles from me, 10 miles from me, and they, they've closed. And that needs to end. So I feel we're doing the right work. We just have to keep that momentum going. And uh, I, I encourage everyone to step in and do whatever part they can play. If they can call uh, other pharmacies, please do. If they can donate, please donate and help. Because that, that is going to help us move the mission that we are after in the right direction and going forward. From my perspective, and again, you know, there's been amazing work done. It, and I'll, I'll talk about, about New York for a second because New York is awesome because, you know, what the work that Antonio and Eric and Three Axis did with Pisney, um, the way, and I'm proud of Georgia and I, and I love our Georgia Day at the Dome events, but I'll say this nobody does a Day at the Dome event like New York does a Day at the Dome event. <laughs> um, That's but, right. <laughs> but, you know, from my perspective, and I feel this to my core, there's been amazing work done when you think of where we've come in six or seven years. And when you think about the fact that we're going, against some of the biggest companies on earth, right? And that's not an over-exaggeration. These are monster companies and monsters in, in multiple senses of the word, but their resources, you know, 40, 50 lobbyists, probably, I'm going to guess, Steve, in New York, you know, 
by the PBMs trying to kill your bills and they, and they can't do it. Right. And so there's been amazing work and we've gotten bigger and bigger to the point where maybe we were going after fringe paper cuts on the PBMs. And now maybe we're taking off some, you know, we're, we're getting at their core practices, but you know, what I would propose, and this is for, you know, everywhere is, you know, it's time to storm the Hill from my perspective. And again, I, I talk to independent pharmacies every day and, you know, it's as great of strides as, if we, as we've made, you know, conditions behind the counter, you know, don't always improve. And so from my perspective, just if you think about how far we've come and Arkansas winning and, you know, in the U.S. Supreme Court, which is just this amazing thing and the attention that New York has gotten. And it's, it's fantastic. And Putt has done an incredible job getting before some of these national bodies and getting their attention. So we have their attention now, but now I, I just think solution wise, and I always you know, try, to, try to push to, to do this personally and professionally and for the industry in particular, but we've got to think big. Right. And, and we've got to think bigger. And I'm not the one who came up with these ideas. Right. Like in West Virginia, they just passed a cost plus model. But what I will tell you is this, having passed Mac pricing legislation, having seen PCMAV Rutledge win, if folks take away from PCMAV Rutledge's, hey, we need more Mac pricing legislation. You know, that's not it. As long as PBMs can hide behind trade secrets and methodologies and, and manipulate and play arbitrage, guess what? You know, pharmacy loses, taxpayers lose, payers lose, and patients lose. And so what we've got to start thinking about is no more fringes, no more. I mean, you know, there's a place for that and all progress is good. But, you know, I think we need to start just getting as aggressive as possible with big, bold solutions. Um, everybody may not agree on what those big, bold solutions are. But I think, hey, if, if pharmacies, you know, if PBMs have to reimburse based on, uh, you know, a state actual acquisition cost or based on NADAC, plus a dispensing fee, you know, you take away their trade secret methodologies. If you cut out rebates, go into formularies, you take away their ability to play there. You cut out steering, great. But, you know, and then of course, if they can come back and take it, whether it's on the front end or the back end via fees, another big thing, and I think this feeds absolutely, and I believe this to my core, I think this feeds into when you talk about things like scope and, and reimbursing pharmacists for improving patient outcomes, which pharmacists are great at. But as long as PBMs are allowed to tie patient outcomes to the reimbursement of a drug, the cost of a commodity, you know, I believe to my core, pharmacy loses. And so I believe strongly cost plus model that prohibits PBMs from tying reimbursements to patient outcomes um, and, and maybe, you know, taking away the pay to play to get on a formulary. I think pharmacy has the political strength to achieve those things in states and, and heck, maybe nationally. Um, but I think this is the time to do it because independent pharmacy, not just independent pharmacists, but I think independent pharmacists are often the backbone of these legislative efforts. But pharmacy broadly has proven that they, they can move political mountains and they can move legal mountains. But now it's time to play chess, not checkers, and look for big, bold solutions because pharmacy has proven that they can deliver. Oh, absolutely. Greg, I'm pretty sure that Representative David Knight is probably cheering if he's listening to this podcast right now, because he is at our past putt summits. He was very methodical about telling everyone that he feels like letting any of those heinous PBM practices continue is basically just letting, you know, the Brinks truck back up into the pharmacy and they're just stealing money from yeah. community uh, pharmacists. 
No, that's right, Lauren. And he said that, uh, you know, often. And, you know, we're lucky in Georgia just and I've, I've had the had the pleasure of meeting uh, Senator Scoofus, too. And, you know, we're farm, you know, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence, right? Pharmacists are awesome people. They provide an awesome service. And when they talk, legislators listen and, and you get these champions like Senator Scoofus and, and Representative David Knight, who is, you know, I mean, he 100% believes in what, what pharmacists do. And there are no lengths, you know, that he will, you know, I mean, he, he'll go to the ends of the earth to, to fight for pharmacists and fight for patients. And so, you know, he's, he's always up for that fight. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I mean, he has said he's very vocal about the fact that the reason he really is invested in this fight is because he has a personal story where a pharmacy benefit manager uh, did not do right by him and his family. And so I think that as pharmacists and advocates, we need to not just think about what profession our legislators are, but really try to talk to them and see if there's someone, whether it's their wife, mother, dad, Kill, you know, one of their children that has been affected negatively by a PBM. And that could be the reason why they get involved in this fight with us. Oh, and so right. I think it's and, definitely and the, important that everyone knows. Uh, yeah, I agree. And the, and the thing is, you know, PBMs are so vast and they touch so many lives that you can almost always find what you're talking about, right? Somebody, somebody, <laughs> some connection, some relative who's been negatively impacted by practices of pharmacy benefit managers. You don't have to look too hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, yes. And so that's really what we've tried to kind of model at PUT and tell people that one of the best ways to connect with your legislator is, you know, whenever you go in and start talking to them about pharmacy benefit managers and how it can be beneficial to keep community pharmacies in their district, there's probably at least one of their constituents that has come forward with a high prescription drug issue, especially if they're a diabetic. I know that happens all the time in Illinois. A lot of our legislators really have started to connect because of that issue. So I'm sure that can happen in many, many legislative districts across the country as well. So I'm going to wade in on uh, on the sort of the white elephant in the conversation, which is the DIR fee issue. So Greg, you said storm the hill. I kind of heard this like go big or go home theme behind your speaking. And that's been the one area, no state can really legislate it. And yet it's the one thing that it really is, see, at least it seems to be a, a reimbursement on the basis of outcomes that that truly nobody can predict and nobody has any control over. I, I Starting with you, I, what do you think the future is around DIR fees? I mean, if we were going to storm the hill on this one, what would that look like? What, How should we be doing that? Or what should we be preparing? Yeah, so, you know, not not an easy question. And, you know, and, and one thing I would say is like in Georgia and a lot of states, right, there have been prohibitions on retroactive fees. There have been pro prohibitions on, um, you know, like the states have tried to legislate this, right? And in Georgia, you know, we've said, hey, you know, no retroactive fees. And then we've gone further and we've actually said, and I, I was pretty excited when we said it, but, you know, we passed legislation that said you can't tie reimbursements to patient outcomes right now. You know, can states legislate it? And my answer to you would be to be determined, right? I mean, I think at this point, pharmacy benefit managers are taking the position that the Medicare Act preempts that, right? So that's no secret. So are they adhering to, to the Georgia's laws in the Medicare market? They're not. Um, 
does that mean that it's preempted? I'm not willing to concede that, right? It's been a long time since I've litigated a case, but I would say, you know, Arkansas didn't take the PBM's word for it when they said that, um, you know, MAC pricing was preempted by ERISA. And so I'd say I'm not really inclined to take the PBM's word for it when they take the position that the Medicare Act does, in fact, preempt any, any particular state law that touches that. And so I think that there's, you know, the Medicare Act essentially preempts standards established, uh, you know, under that part, right? But I would argue that there is no standard established, you know, under the Medicare Act in terms of tying fees to patient outcomes. You know, and, and I think that there's strong arguments for that. Uh, again, you know, there'll, there'll be, those things would be argued by lawyers on both sides. But again, I think, I think part of it is, aggressively trying to enforce the laws that are on the books in different states, right? And that's that's no small undertaking. And so if, if a state can stop it, awesome. But it, that hasn't happened yet. That doesn't mean it won't happen. And I'm certainly not willing to to concede that point. And then from a legislative effort, you know, you know, it's 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 a tricky thing, right? I'm not I'm not real involved in the national legislation and and I, you know there are there are national associations that are working incredibly hard on this issue obviously NCPA APHA um, and I don't, I don't know for those of you who've met Scott Knorr yet or not but just a just really impressive and and I, I think what we're seeing is is APHA getting really aggressive in a good way at that now all of that said from my perspective does does moving those fees to the front end, whether you call them DIR or not, and allowing PBMs to still reimburse on the front end with amorphous patient outcomes. I, you know, I, I don't play at the federal level every day. And so I, I would say this, you can look at any bill I've drafted and, and point, you know, and, and point some things out that could have been done differently. So I certainly don't want to armchair quarterback that, and that's not my intention. But, it, you know, if there's a path forward to say, hey, at the federal level, let's not tie reimbursements to patient outcomes. I, I, I sure would love to see that. And I don't think you're alone, Greg. I think that that is really the hope. And I know there's some frustration out there because pharmacists are really wanting action now, but I think that there's definitely both sides to consider in this issue. And so I think the more information that we can get on it, as Monique said, uh, a lot of pharmacists go to their state legislators with their DIR fee reports and, you know, complaints about these DIR fees. I mean, we just got our uh, trimester report a couple weeks ago, right, whenever we were trying to recredential for a big PBM. And so that kind of makes you think, oh, do I really want to do that, seeing all the money that I know is going to be taken out of my pocket in a few months? But I know that we just need to get the win however we can get it. And so yeah. I think that pharmacies really need to do that. And, uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, look, there's no, there's, these are really tough issues and there's no easy answers, right? Like there's, there's a lawsuit out there that, that looks to say, hey, CMS, move them to the front. Um, and, you know, if we won that lawsuit, certainly that, that, that would be a, a significant victory. And I would also note that the reason that lawsuit probably is the way it is, is there's probably some really smart lawyers working with NCPA and APHA who say, hey, there's this non-interference clause. And so that says that CMS can interfere with certain aspects of contracts between PBMs and, and pharmacies. So for that reason, we're limited, you know, 
CMS is somewhat limited in what they can do with DIR fees, but we feel as though at a minimum, CMS, even with a non-interference clause, can move it to the front, right? And so there's all these weird, complex federal laws and regulations at play. And so it's, it's I, I get it's really easy to sit here and say, hey, this, this is optimal, this isn't. Um, but look, you know, there are folks fighting up in D.C. every single day. Um, you know, and, and, and fighting these fights hard. But what I would say, and this is, this is a critique of, of, and it's really not a critique, because again, I think if you look at nationwide, what pharmacy has done from the state associations to the, to the national organizations, I think it's all driven by individual pharmacists and the value that they're held in in their communities. But there has been amazing work. And I think there's been amazing work in Georgia. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have been a small part of that. But for every single state, as well as national, I just think that that we always need to think bigger and we always need to evolve because if we've shown anything, you know, the only limits I think are our ideas because pharmacy has gone out and, you know, sucked the oxygen out of the room in New York, um, you know, Louisiana has done awesome things, you know, it'd take a, a whole episode to talk about like what Antonio has done out in Ohio, right? Like, amazing, amazing things have been done and investigations have been launched. And so I, I just think that we need to, you know, we need bold solutions. And with the attention that pharmacy has now nationally, this isn't the time to let off the gas. It's the, it's, it's the time to, you know, press the gas and maybe storm the hill was too melodramatic. But I think, you know, you can smell it now, right? PBMs and the games they play, it's not a mystery anymore. Six years ago, when you went to D.C. for an NCPA legislative fly-in, folks didn't know what PBMs were, right? Or maybe eight years ago. Now, when you go up to one of those events, guess what? They all know what PBMs are. And so, I, you know, it's one of those things to me, like, we can smell it, but pharmacy has to make the right moves and, and aggressive moves. Because when you look at what's been done nationally, it's, 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 it's really, it's amazing in ways. But that hasn't necessarily translated to relief behind the counter, and pharmacies are still closing. And so this is the time, right? We've, we've got you know, national attention, we've got audiences in all these different states as well at the national level. We've got organizations that are well-regarded in NCPA and APHA and, and PUT and these state organizations. This is the time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'm not so sure that Storm the Hill is overly dramatic. At the PUT board meetings, we talk about some pretty big things like this whole new conversation that's emerging around antitrust issues and PBMs are, you know, they're not very far off from big tech in terms of, you know, what they're doing. It wouldn't be, I guess what I'm saying is it wouldn't be that big of a leap for the regulators who are looking at these issues to look just a little bit further and see the degree to which it's happened. And we, I think we were lucky we saw the report from Lena Khan statement that she issued where she indicated that, you know, there was reason to be concerned there. There was certainly, you know, something going on. We've talked in our meetings about the possibility of, you know, could some of these mergers be undone? Would there be a day where we might actually see PBMs don't own pharmacies anymore? Insurers don't own PBMs and pharmacies. You know, it could actually be undone. I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious what, what everyone else's opinion on the panel is about that. But I agree. I think we have to be thinking really big. I think it's a shame that we have to in some cases, go back down to the very basic level. But I, you know, I, I feel very strongly that it is too bad that an industry has to go all the way down to the, the very basics of these are the things that other businesses get to do that we don't get to do, like be fully reimbursed for a product that we sell. 
Um, other businesses don't have to worry about that or else they wouldn't be in business. But, you know, kind of going back to where I started this whole thing, we do need to do something big. We can't sit back to your point, Greg. I, I will just echo your comment that I, I don't think Storm the Hill is is inappropriate at all. I think we have to be as aggressive in DC as we are in our various state capitals. And I think it's incredibly important for, for pharmacists to get behind the efforts of you know, NCPA and, and APHA, Doug and Scott and, and their teams are, are doing a great job to, to bring our issues to the attention of the legislators that, that that can fix them. But, you know, you go to an NCPA event or an APHA event, and you know, as incredible as they are, you know, I'm in DC potentially with like 10 or 15 pharmacists from New York. You know, we have 2,500 independent community pharmacies here in New York. And we're there with, with maybe 10 people talking about DIRs, which are the, the single uh, biggest issue most of us say we face. So <clears throat> I think we've got to encourage our colleagues to put that same level of, of energy and effort. And I, I know it's much easier said than done, um, but to put the same efforts into the, the national lobbying efforts and, and communicating with our federal representatives as we do with our, our state officials. I agree, Steve. I think uh, looking back, I was probably the silent guy sitting and thinking things will happen. I think uh, taking that action, uh, I mean, my, my volumes are not that great. Uh, we're, we're doing okay, but it's not like I have free time to, to go out and do things or, but guess what? I figured it out. I did whatever I could to figure things out and that's how I, I took action. And I think we're probably what, 20, 20,000 plus independent pharmacies. If we all take little action, storming the hill should not be that hard. But I think a lot of times we are stepping back or not taking actions and thinking things will work on its own. And that's where I think we lack a little bit. And I think especially uh, being in, from Arizona, I feel like I need to work and show the results and need help from other independent pharmacy owners to say, hey, if we work together, we can achieve a lot more more things. So I think I totally echo what you what you said said. And one thing I would just add about storming the hill is obviously you know you you can have a big event and make an impact and you know be in, in Washington D.C. But just like you get to know your your state legislators locally, you know it's the same thing with the federal legislators. So you know make sure you're inviting your congressional representatives to the store. Uh, the state senators, obviously, maybe a little bit, uh, the federal senators may be a little bit harder, depending upon the size of your state, you know, where they fall, um, and then the priority scale in D.C., but at the same time, you know, you don't necessarily want to go to D.C. to meet your legislators for the first time either, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, hopefully that's a, that's a reinforcement of, of the conversations you've been having with them. You don't have to, you don't have to go to D.C. to start the conversation about the, the reforms that pharmacy needs. I think in terms of, you know, what we're talking about in the direction that we're going in the conversation, there's clearly a lot to be done and there's a lot that's been done. As we start to, you know, come to the end of our conversation today, I'd love to have each of you weigh in on what you think will be the, the pressing issues for the future and, and what advice you might have for anyone in your area or really across the country, uh, if they were going to, you know, take this next step into helping to change pharmacy for the better. So Greg, why don't we start with you? Yeah, um, to me, it, it really isn't a secret. And, you know, if you listen to, to Ken and, and you listen to Steve, 
it's and it, it kind of sounds cliche, right? But gra- grassroots is what drives this thing. And I think you know Steve's point he made it at you know about the NCPA legislative fly-in is is so apt to me. And I think that's you know one of the best events of of the year, right? You know th- that event that they put on. But in in Georgia, you know we always have a good number of folks show up, maybe ten or fifteen, right? But you know if if you got seven hundred independent pharmacies in the state, and then you know lots of pharmacists and other settings. It's getting involved. And, and what I've seen is pharmacists who are willing to take that first step, right? That first step. And it, it affects change, whether, you know, whether it's a pharmacist who's willing to go testify at a hearing or, ha- you know, it doesn't always have to be dramatic, right? It doesn't always have to be, hey, come testify at this hearing. If you can do that, that's awesome. But, you know, but it could be just ha- having a visit at your pharmacy, whatever it is. But I think the key is, and I've, I've said this other places, I'm probably redundant, you know, to, to the folks I talk to a lot, but it's, it's just fighting the fight. Right. And I think that, you know, for the folks who are policy minds and, you know, the leaders, it's, hey, how are we going to direct that fight and what are the right steps? But, you know, it's no secret when pharmacists meet with their legislators and share their experiences. And Steve made a huge point, I think, which is, you know, it's anecdotal when you talk about it, but when you show it, it's a very different thing. Right. So when you take the time to print out, you know, obviously patient redacted, HIPAA redacted, but you, you you take the time to show what steering looks like what a steering letter looks like that a patient may receive, what it looks like on the point of sale reject, that, that sickens legislators' stomachs. If you show them 15 pages of DIR fees, right? It's, it's tangible, it's real. And, and, and that, that can affect so much change. But again, I, th- I think it's just getting more and more pharmacists who are willing to tell their story and stand up and fight for their patients. And that first step, I think, is probably daunting. Ken, you could probably speak to that better than me. But, but boy, I think the pharmacists that do it, it, they affect great change. And ultimately, I think they're glad that they did. That's great, Greg. And actually, Ken, why don't we have you speak to that and then whatever advice you have, what direction you think we're going and what advice you have? I think I feel uh, we're moving in the right direction. And as Greg said, I think grassroots efforts is the key. I think there are all pharmacists are frustrated either wherever they're working. Of course, independent pharmacies are a little bit more because uh, it's affecting the whole business piece of it. Uh, but everyone can play a part, right? It could be just calling or be present at the capital day uh, at the legislature or whatever day it is, or talking to the media. It could be a stakeholder meeting, right? Attending any of those meetings. Uh, whatever way they can help and, and I, I bet you everyone can help in some way or another. Uh, and we all have talents that we can use in different ways, right? So if everybody gets involved, things would get a lot better. It's not always money. I mean, of course, money is needed. And if you are not able to attend and do all those things, we'll donate money. I think that will help us to lobby and do the things that we can do uh, with it. Get involved. That's, that is the key to, to get the changes that we want. That's well said, Ken. Thank you. Steve, what about you? Yeah, I would echo just get involved. I mean, you don't have to, you've, there are going to be plenty of colleagues who can help for somebody who wants to get started. Um, but I think that the biggest step is that first step. And, you know, you never know the effect it's going to have. You know, we talked about Senator Skoufis, you know, and, and Al and, and Mark and that team from Orange County. They just met with him and, you know, he became one of the, the foremost champions that we have, not only in New York, but, but throughout the country. So 
you know, just like Ken said, just, just get started. Yeah, absolutely agree. Lauren, I'm going to turn it over to you, but before I do, um, there's a point that I want to make. So on, on this get involved, I cannot underscore that enough for myself. I had my first round of stakeholder meetings and participation uh, my, in something other than my role here at PUT, and it was so educational and so unbelievable to talk with the people who are on the other side of the table and to and to hear what <laughs> what passed for um, what's the word justification for why they were even doing the things they were doing that that was pretty mind blowing, but the experience was it was really good and it wasn't hard. Uh, once I got over my initial intimidation, it was it was quite the experience. But for anyone who's listening, there is an opportunity to initially get involved, even if you're not talking directly to your legislator, and that is at our summit. But we have this state legislator panel, and for anyone who's ever attended the summit, and I, I believe everybody here on the panel except Ken has attended the summit, it's an opportunity to meet state legislators and to talk with them and to ask questions quite candidly. Uh, anything you want to know? How did they do what they did? What what interested them in this cause? There's an opportunity there. So even if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I, I don't know the first thing about how to engage my state legislator, I invite you to, to register and participate in the summit, either in person in Orlando or online. We're going to have an online component this year, and you'll have an opportunity to do exactly that and to watch that happening in real time. Um, so with that, I'm going to, Lauren, I'm going to come back to you now. Um, as someone who's working in this industry and also as a PUT board member, what do you see is the direction that we're going and what advice do you have? I would like to see the momentum that we have seen over the past year, even with COVID, continue. I know there are definitely more owners like Ken who might have been more sideline owners for a while or thinking, oh, I don't need to get involved. I I just need to continue working in my store. But Ken, your testimony in Arizona is one of the reasons why legislators connected with that transaction fee bill. You had a very succinct, short testimonial, and there was the vice chair in that hearing who said it was the best testimony he had ever heard in a legislative committee. And so I think that pharmacy owners and pharmacy advocates need to understand that their story deserves to be heard by legislators and other people that can really get this bill or this energy moving. And I think that it's going to take every owner just like Ken to continue on with this. And I will say that a pharmacy owner that Greg knows well in Georgia, he had Miss Jennifer Shannon uh, yes. testify in a legislative committee. And she said she you know, was not sure what to say. She didn't think that it was going to go well. And again, the legislators really wanted to hear from that owner because the owner is the conduit between their voters or their constituents and the legislator. So I'm, there is no amount of a price that you can put on that kind of connection. And the legislators know that. And so Jen was nervous, she said, and we were all on a text group with her whenever she was <laughs> doing one of her testimonies and said, Oh, Greg, I can't believe he wrote me into doing this again. And we were all watching the live stream and she did amazing. She's even awesome. when, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. when the opposition does try to throw those misleading talking points back, you and you know, the whole team in Georgia really steps up and really helps 
lift up the pharmacy owner trying to advocate. It's, it's we always joke, and, and Lauren, you probably remember the story she told with the Apple Watch, and it like showed her blood pressure <laughs> rising, right? But she is so, she yeah. is so she has become such a trusted resource in Georgia now, right? For not just PBM issues, but scope issues and all things pharmacy. And it's just it, you know it, it, she's ob- obviously one of our absolute best, but we have we have a pretty deep bench in Georgia of folks who you know were uncomfortable at first, but they've done it and been incredibly valuable, and it's built relationships and it's changed the land landscape in the state. Just pharmacists like Ken and like Jen who are willing to, st- and Steve, who are willing to step up and do this. And I would say Jen has also been to these PUT conferences. And so it would definitely like to add, uh, I, I don't know, I think I've been to Monique, just about every one of them. Um, and, I'll, and I plan on attending this one too. And so if you're a pharmacist who cares about your profession, um, it's, it's a really cool event. And also, you know, truly one of the one of the best events in the country. And they've, you guys always have an all-star panel of legislators. And to get a chance to interact with them and, and speak with them is, is a pretty neat opportunity. And I think it fires a lot of folks up who attend to go back to their states and just get that much more involved. And it just spreads and it builds from there. Oh, absolutely. And I really think the next direction will probably be in the patient steering advocacy or even the... PSAO education. I know that seems to be a hot topic in some of the states who have been successful in passing either MAC laws or the patient steering laws, and PSAOs seem to be the next one on the chopping block. So I think that might be what some of our listeners are going to want to educate themselves on, because I know that Scott Pace and several others in the PSAO industry have been trying to work to get the word out that they are not the bad guy that the PBMs are trying to paint them as. And so I think that it would behoove all of our listeners to make sure they're following along on that vein as well. Yeah, you know, that's something, you know, their playbook is pretty much the same in every state. And that's something they've definitely tried in Georgia is kind of that straw man, hey, you know, point the finger over here. What we really need is is this, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so it's a it's an app point to bring up. You also want to make sure you're looking for the allies in the room that are not just pharmacy owners. I mean, Madeline Feldman and the Rheumatology Association and the Community Oncology Alliance have oh, been yeah. great partners. So I would definitely look for those kind of industries in your state to try to partner up with and pass the audit and assistance organization has been a great resource as well. So definitely look for some non-pharmacy, but still kind of in the same industry, people to be experts too. Yeah. Pharmacy adjacent or something like that. That's right. (laughs) And thanks for Greg, all the nice things you're saying about the summit. Uh, I, I naturally have to say nice things about the summit because, you know, I manage it along with Lauren and Shannon, who is our executive producer behind the scenes on, on this podcast for everybody who does not know Shannon. But it is it is a really good event. Um, and it's great to see people get together and to have the kind of conversations that we have there because they're real and they're practical and people go away from the summit with new relationships, new perspectives and new strategies for how to affect change in their own states. And I think that's a big deal. We've seen some great things happening since we started the summit. And I think there's great things to come as well. So I, for those of you listening in the background, keenly, if you hear a growl, that's my dog who's getting restless. So I guess that would mean it's time for us to bring the, the podcast to a close. 
uh, Ken Patel in Arizona, Steve Moore in New York, Greg Reibold in Georgia, Lauren Young, my board member, co-host, and good friend in Illinois. Thank you all for being on the panel. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a comment. If you'd like to know more about the Putt Summit or you'd like to register, you can do that on our website, truthrx.org. That is my dog, Boxer, saying hello to everybody. Uh, With that, we will bring the podcast to a close and we will see you next month.